for it. Yeah, let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for today, for our time, uh, for these folks, uh, for the opportunity to get together to study, uh, to study your word. So we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're in, we've been in Deuteronomy. Um, several things, gosh, um, so much comes to mind whenever we think of Deuteronomy, whenever I think of Deuteronomy, at least. Um, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of Deuteronomy, but, um, um, you know, as we were in the sermon this morning, pastor was talking about uh, the book of Romans and, and uh, you know, Romans chapter one, Romans chapter two, or into Romans chapter three. Uh, um, a couple things there. Turn, so let's turn over. We're in, I always do it. I never do it. I know, yeah, Kay was saying I never start in the book that we're studying. Never. No, you told to turn to a book and then you start talking about it. Always go to a different one before we go to one that's always going to be seen. Yeah, there's several. Yeah. Well, and what I, yeah, it's true. Um, what I want you to see, I guess, more than anything, is um, I want you to see how it all fits together. And I want you to be able to read it for yourself, right? So if we can do those two things, that's that's really uh, really helpful. Um, how we talked a couple weeks ago about how we ought to think about the law. Um, um, we tend to think the law is bad, right? Remember we we went through Psalm 19, uh, where David calls the law perfect, restores the soul, gives light to the eyes, and all that. Um, why was the law given? Uh, le- yeah, why was the law, how about this? Why was the law given to Israel? How about that? That narrows it, right? That gets us thinking more clearly. Uh, to set them apart, uh, let, me, uh, let me show you a couple things. Um, l- look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul will say these things in passing, but they're very, uh, they're very informative. What Paul has explained um, in Romans, both in Romans and in the, uh, uh, and in Galatians, is that the law does not justify you. The, the Jew thought that he was justified because he was a Jew, because it set him apart, uh, because he kept the law, right? And so therefore he thought he was justified. And Paul says, the law never justified you. Wasn't the point of the law. Well, then why was the law added? Why then the law? He asks in anticipates the question in chapter 3, verse 19, and then answer. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Uh, the mediator is Moses, right? The modus, Moses was the mediator of the law, and it was added because of transgression, right? Uh, so that Israel would see their, their sinfulness. They thought they weren't. Um, and so the law was added so that they would see it. In Romans chapter 1, turn back to Romans chapter 1, Paul explains that uh, he's not ashamed of the gospel. This is in 1.16. Um, do you see, uh, I wonder how your translation reads. Um, do you see the first word in verse 16? What is the first word in verse 16? Four. Verse 17, verse 18. Yeah, all three of those. Uh, For I am not ashamed, for in it the righteousness of God, for the wrath of God is revealed. These are the three reasons why he is uh, eager to preach the gospel 
to those who are in Rome. Verse, uh, verse uh, 15, do you see the thus there? So, so, uh, first word of so or thus or something like that in verse 15. Well, verse 15 uh, is uh, going back to previous verses. Does that make sense? Uh, explaining what? I am under obligation to both the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. Therefore, so, thus, for, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first, and then the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel. In the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed. What's not, he doesn't say, for in the law, the righteousness of God is revealed. He says, in the gospel, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He gives both sides. The righteousness of God is revealed and the wrath of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the, in the, in the, uh, in the gospel. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And then he explains why. Okay. Um, in, do you, now I want you to look at the first word of chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, do you see that? Okay, so he's still making his point. This is why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because God created man to be an image bearer, and he exchanged the image of God for the image of man, and for the image, um, this is, uh, um, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, verse 23, for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-legged animals and crawling things. So therefore God gave them over. And that giving over continues, right? The lawlessness, the, the sinfulness of man uh, becomes clear. And therefore, they are under God's wrath. So you Jews, you're worse. Because you do the same things. Therefore, you have no excuse. For you pass judgment on others, and you do the same things yourself. And in fact, you've been given the law. So uh, the, the, the law was added because of transgression. It piled up on you, right? This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. He continues in Romans chapter, through, through the sin of one man, sin in the world, and so death spread to all men. That man, Adam, right? All men, Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, death reigned over all. And then the law came, and it was worse. So now you're without excuse, Mr. Jew, right? For it's not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law. Now, who are the hearers of the law? The Jews, right? So they're without excuse. 
Gentiles were without excuse, the Jews were without excuse, you're all without excuse. Does that make sense? So the character of God is revealed. Actually, the character of man is revealed in contrast to the character of God. This is what is revealed in the law. Does that make sense? Okay. Everybody good so far? So um, I had one. Uh, yes. Yes, the Greek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you see where, go back a little bit. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. You see that? That's in verse 14. Okay. Uh, who viewed themselves as wise? The Greeks. Um, the Greeks who viewed themselves as wise, um, who are the foolish? Uh, one of the things that happens here that is helpful to know Old Testament, you get parallelism. What, I mean, what we mean by parallelism is he says, um, uh, the Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the foolish. The Greeks, the wise, the barbarians, the foolish. Okay. Look at the progression that happens in chapter 1, verses 18. They exchanged the God. Uh, 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 for even though they knew God, uh, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became foolish in their speculations, and their foolish heart was, de- was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Did you, catch, did you catch the wise fools, wise fools, Greeks, barbarians? Professing to be wise, they see. See, uh, this is the trail that has been blazed before. It was blazed in the fall. Um, the woman saw that the tree was good to make one wise. In this, this making one wise, doing what's wise in your own eyes, seeking wisdom on your own, ends up in this being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Well, that's a wonderful list. How would you describe those uh, barbarians? Professing to be wise, they turn into barbarians, fools. All right, see where it goes. Yeah, Hellenist. That's a that's a trans, that's a transliteration. Yeah. And although they know the ordinances of God, they don't care. Basically, is what he's saying. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they don't care. Not only do they do the same, they give hearty, hearty approval to those who do it. Sound familiar about what's going on? Um, It's not that they don't know what is right and what is wrong. They don't care about what is right and what is wrong, right? Well, that's that's not a great way to go down the trail, okay? So when we think about... Um, so so that's, that's the context within which we need to understand the law. The law is perfect because it reveals the character of God, uh, but it also reveals the character of man. Before, even before we start talking about Jews. See, the Jew, the Jew is no different than the, than the Gentile. He's got the same heart. <laughs> he just thought he was better. 
right? Uh, and so, was, you know, so this was to, to stomp out their pride, their arrogance, their rebellion, right? Uh, because it was to stomp out the hardness of their heart, right? Um, hardness of their heart. Um, okay, so that's where I want to go down this trail. I want to want to to think about that hardness of the heart language, right? Stiff-necked, rebellious, hard-hearted people. Okay, how did that play out? Um, when we think about Israel's re- uh, relationship to the Lord, or the Lord's relationship to Israel, um, how is that lang- how is that relationship described throughout the Old Testament? You might know. Rebel with well, the relationship. What's the relationship? Covenant. It's covenant relationship. Um, illustrated by husband and wife. Yeah, uh, the Lord as uh, uh, the the husband and Israel as the bride. Um, when Israel goes and follows another god, what is that called? I uh, uh, not idolatry, but harlotry, harlotry. Right? They become a harlot. They play the harlot. They commit adultery. They play the harlot, right? Um, and so they were to, to uh, love the Lord their God and not go after other gods, okay? Um, now, what happened in Israel, there's three relationships, father, son, husband, wife, uh, and um, um, master, servant. But the, 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 the relationship that best expresses the covenant between Israel and the Lord is marriage, Right? husband and wife. Um, and it is to be illustrated in the individual relationships of the people. Does that make sense? Right? So it was to be played out in the people. Now, you know, what are the pagans doing out there? Who knows? But what's going on in Israel, the husband and wife relationship in Israel was to reflect the husband and wife relationship between Israel and the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Turn over to, um, uh, let's see here. Um, there's several places in the New Testament where this is talked about. Um, look at uh, Mark. Well, let's go to, start in Matthew. Go to, go to Matthew chapter uh, 19. Yes. <laughs> It came about when Jesus had finished these words, he was teaching, uh, um, uh, he had just finished teaching. He departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him and, and he healed many there. And some of the Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying, is it lawful to divorce, uh, for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And he answered and said, have you not read? that he uh, who created them in the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause, the man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two will be one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? This is, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Okay, Let me, Let's look at Jesus' response, and then let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, uh, whoever divorces his wife, except for porneia, we'll talk about what that means, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, now before we go back, well, how do we want to do this? Let's, let's do the exception here first, and then let's go back to, uh, um, to Deuteronomy. Uh, now, one of the things that, um, that we, we don't understand in how we do marriage is we get... Um, uh, in America or in you know Western marriages, you get um, engaged, and then there's the wedding day, and that's it, right? Uh, that's not how it worked in uh, in Israel. Uh, the um, what we would call the engagement period was the, that was when the, the deal was was struck, right? Uh, the betrothal the betrothal period. It was the it was this year long. Uh, you know, um, period to ensure uh, that everything was on the up and up, right? If, uh, you know, if the woman shows up pregnant in the nine, uh, in the, you know, the, the year, um, Houston, we've got a problem, okay? Um, what was the penalty of adultery? Stone to death, yeah, stone to death, right? So any kind of, you know, outside of marriage in Israel, that was stoned to death. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And there's instruction all through chapter for both. It was in chapter 22 of Deuteronomy and chapter 24, right, uh, of Deuteronomy. So there's all kinds of this instruction in chapter 22, and in this case that we're going to go to in chapter 24. Now, um, why is this relevant to Matthew? Why does Matthew? And, and Matthew's the only one that makes this point except for the issue of porneia. Now, I want you to think about what Matthew has just went through back in chapter 5. Um, is there a, a marriage, a betrothal in this story where the wife turns up pregnant? Yeah, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> yeah, Mary and Joseph. Um, and so uh, would, would it be normal for Joseph to think that Mary had been Unfaithful. Yes. Why would he think that? Because um, throughout the history of the world, this is how it works. So you don't get pregnant with, a, um, you know, the vir virgins don't get pregnant. That If you can't figure that out, talk to your parents. Okay. Um, except for this one. Um, and so this is Isaiah 7, 14, and all this took place in order to fulfill the virgin is pregnant and will bear a child, right? Um, so this is the case. Now, in Israel, if the wife turned up pregnant, she was stoned to death. Uh, but not, Now, Joseph's not going to do this, being a righteous man. This is back in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 2, end of chapter 1, uh, because... Um, you couldn't just stone anybody to death in Rome. In Israel, you were commanded to do this, but in Rome, the Roman rule was the operating law of the day. Does that make sense? So he wanted to put her away quietly, being a righteous man. That's why this is in Matthew. It's relevant to the story. Does that make sense? Okay, now back to Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 24. Okay, now do you see the... Uh, let me see if I can show this to you. It's a lot easier to see in... Um, You see this little, it looks like a backward C here uh, with a dot underneath it. Um, and then you see one here. Okay, let me uh, make this smaller so we can see. Uh, you don't have to actually be able to see the, the, the letters, but I want to show you. Uh, okay, do you see them all? Over there on the left, all the blue marks there. Okay, that's what we call a key clause. Okay. Now, um, there were two types of laws. One is, thou shalt not. And then there were, if this sin occurs, then this is the judgment. Okay. Um, the key clause is the if. It's the if clause. If this, then this. Okay. If this wrong occurs, then this. Okay. Uh, and so that's what's going on all the way through. Uh, if you make a vow to the Lord, you'll be sure to keep it. If you don't, it'll be sending you. Yeah, don't make vows to the Lord because you can't keep them, right? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this. Don't do that. That's just not smart. Um, if you're the Lord, you can make vows. Don't make vows to the Lord. You don't have the power or control to keep them. Um, have you taken a vow? If you're married, have you taken a vow? Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it, were your vows, yeah, they used to do this, till death do us part. Yeah, um, I always tell folks before they're getting married, that can be arranged. You take that vow and you say, till death do us part, the Lord can arrange that. And I don't think you want to go down that trail, right? Um, uh, if you refrain from vowing, it will not be sent in you. Do you see it now? So the if is the, the, the wrong or the sin or the error that has occurred, the then is the punishment. If a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, that's the problem. That's the sin. That's the wrong. Then, uh, and he found some indecency in her. Uh, now, let's stop there. Uh, is this, um, remember this is to reflect the, the character of God, that marriage is to reflect the character of God. What's God like? Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Uh, slow to anger. Um, uh, uh, how many uh, abounding in loving kindness and loyal love? Lo loving kindness, loyal love. Um, how many times does the Lord forgive the sinner? Seven? Hey, Jesus, seven? Is that, that, that going to work seven times? No, it's not enough. Seventy times seven. Um, okay, well then how many times do you forgive your bride? If Israel stands... And now standing in place of Israel, the wife. And standing in place of the Lord, the husband. Okay. How many times is the husband to forgive the wife? As many times as the Lord forgives Israel. Now, 
How does Israel do in this story? <laughs> if what? Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you just keep going, man. Yeah, you keep going. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we were all thinking. Yeah. Um, see, this is the character of God revealed, right? And he, does he forgive Israel of some amazing th- Yes, right? So the, the sin that has occurred is the husband says, I'm not going to represent God in this marriage. I'm not going to forgive my wife. I'm going to put her away. Um, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. Why is he doing this? Remember what Jesus said? Because of the hardness of your heart, the Lord has allowed this. Hardness of your heart. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. Is that the unforgivable sin? No, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. But it is, um, let's not candy coated either, right? Um, this is the covenant relationship that is to be put on display uh, that, uh, uh, that Israel is to, when the husband loves the wife, this is to live out, right? Does this make sense? Um, if you see your, uh, if a man sees another man's wife, how is he to look at, it, at another man's wife? Lust after her in his heart? No, do what? He's to defend her. Why? Okay, let's back up. Love the Lord your God with all of your, and with all of your, and with all of your might. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor, your brother as yourself. Okay, so you're to be your brother's defender. Um, you see his donkey, and his donkey falls in a hole on the Sabbath day, or his ox, what do you do? You go get it. Why? Because you care for the donkey and the ox? Well, that'd be great if you did. Uh, but no, uh, more importantly, you care, for your, you care for your brother, your brother's wife. You're looking after your brother. You're your brother's wife's defender because you're your brother's defender. And this one says, I'm not doing it. And so he sends her away and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. What's happened here? How does the Bible define that? Adultery. It's adultery. And if the latter, uh, the, the next one, he does the same thing. And he sends her out. The former husband who sent away is not allowed to take her back again. This is an abomination to the Lord. And it will be, uh, you will not bring the sin uh, on the land, which the Lord your God gives you as inheritance. So, now, let's, let's make sure that we cover this correctly, right? Um, does Israel take vows? Yes. Do they take stupid vows? Yes. Do they break the vows? Yes. And then they make another vow. 
Yes. Uh, you have examples where Israel makes vows to break the law. Believe it or not, this happens quite often. Um, they make a vow or a covenant with the Gibeonites. They were supposed to utterly destroy the Amorites, Hittites, Canaanites, Jebusites. Then they make a vow with the Gibeonites to not destroy them. And so now the Lord's going to hold them to that vow. Then later on the story, Saul is out killing the Gibeonites, and the Lord sends a, a famine in the land. The rain stops because they went back on the vow. Right? Uh, you get in uh, Judges chapter 17, this wife or this woman who has a child, and he steals all of her stuff, steals her silver, uh, and then she pronounces a, 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 a curse on him, whoever stole his, her stuff, her silver. And then the, the son confesses, and he says, I did it. Uh, and he returns the silver, and she says, I wholly dedicate the 1,100 pieces of silver to the Lord uh, to make a graven image. She, she vows to make a graven image. And then she only gives 300 pieces of silver instead of the 1,100 to make the graven image. I mean, if you're going to go back on a vow, at least keep the, keep the law, right? Don't break a vow and still make a graven image, but she does that. And this story just continues. So, so Israel's doing this all the time. They're making vows that are getting themselves in trouble all the time, right? Uh, so if you, you know, make a vow and you blow it, and, well, okay, um, I'm reminded of, uh, there was a, 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 a Seinfeld episode. Was it Seinfeld? Uh, yeah, where Kramer decides he's going to stop talking, right? And he keeps, his mouth keeps getting him in trouble, and Jerry comes to him and says, you know, really? And he says, starting now. <laughs> okay, well, starting now, right? If you make a vow to the Lord, you'll be sure to keep it. Better to not vow. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're not saying that divorce is the unforgivable sin, but what we are saying uh, is that your marriage is to reflect the character of God. Right? Because God hates divorce. Why does God hate divorce? Because if you've got two people who marriage is designed to represent his character and his love, and they're not going to do it, then that marriage doesn't represent his character and his love for one another. His love for Israel, his love for his people. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so this is the given that kind of runs throughout the story. Uh, that, uh, that, that Israel was not to commit adultery. They were not to go after other gods. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you are entering to possess it, you shall... Uh, and clears the way for you among the nations before you, the, the, you know, the, the, all the ites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, and you utterly defeat them, you utterly destroy them, you shall make no covenant with them, you shall show them no favor. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them, so Israel was not to intermarry with the nations. Why not? Let's keep reading. You shall not uh, take your daughters for their sons, nor shall you turn your sons, uh, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. 
And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Right? So, um, so Israel was this nation chosen by God to be his people, and he revealed himself to them and all this. And then they, they had the Gentile nations, the pagans, okay, who didn't believe in God. Uh, Paul's going to call this in the New Testament. Now, this was Jew-Gentile because the Jews were the believers of Gentiles. Were there any Gentile women who came into, yeah, through faith, they became part of God's covenant uh, community, covenant people, right? Uh, any, uh, do you know, can you name some? Rahab would be one. Ruth would be, yeah, some pretty big hitters there. These are right in Jesus' uh, covenant line, right? Um, so is the issue Jew and Gentile? The issue is not Jew and Gentile. The, the issue is the God of Israel. Wh whose God are you following? Are you following the Lord or are you following others? So Paul's going to, to command in the Corinthians, he's going to tell them, do not be unequally yoked. What does that mean? Don't marry unbelievers. Why not? Same principle here, because they will cause you to follow other gods. Now, let's say someone comes to faith. Uh, the, the husband is the believer, the wife is a believer, and the other's not. What do you do? You stay in it. Yeah, Paul's going to say you stay in it. Why? Well, you made a covenant, number one. Yeah, number, uh, yeah, he's going to, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll, we'll get to it. Yet yeah, the goal here is for them to come to faith, right? That it is always this sacrificial at your expense for their benefit, always. This is the character of God. This is the, the loving kindness of God, the sacrificial love of God. It is always other-directed at my expense for their benefit, right? Because the goal is always to bring them to faith, bring them to repentance, and this is going to run through, so this is bound up in the character of God. This is going to run throughout the whole story, right? Uh, everywhere you turn, it is at your expense for their benefit, right? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. At whose expense? For whose benefit, right? So at the husband's expense for the wife's benefit. Uh, look at First Peter. Go to First Peter chapter 3. Is the wife supposed to do the same thing? Uh, yes, absolutely. In the same way, wives, right? Be in subjection to your own husbands. Why? So that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word. Because the goal is to win over the other at your expense for her benefit. If the husband is disobedient to the word, is that going to cost the wife? Yes. Is being uh, obedient uh, or submissive to this disobedient husband, is that going to be a problem? Yes. Is it going to cost you? Yes. But what's the goal? At your expense for their benefit, for their restoration, right? So uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. All right. Now, what's going on in 1 Corinthians? You, you see how this marriage thing is, it's all over, okay? Now, concerning thing about what you wrote, it is good for men not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife and each uh, woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to the wife and likewise the wife to the husband. 
For the wife does not have authority over her, uh, her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority his own body, but the wife does at your expense for their benefit. Stop depriving one another, except for agreement for a time that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this by way of concession, not command. I wish that all men were as I am. Now, what's he talking about here? Paul is single. And he's saying, I would rather you be single. Why? Why? Uh, let each man have his own gift from God, one uh, in this manner, the other in that manner. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain unmarried. Um, he, he, Paul has, has explained, and, and we'll explain here, um, if you're married, who is your responsibility? Who are you supposed to be sacrificing for? The other. If you're unmarried, who are you wholly devoted to? To, the, to Christ, to the Lord, right? And so he's saying it's better for you to be wholly devoted to the Lord because the man who's married, he has a responsibility to the Lord, but also has a responsibility to his wife, to his family. Does that make sense, right? And so his focus is divided. Now, how he relates to and loves and cares for his wife and family is to reflect Christ, right? Um, so that, that's his point. And I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they have uh, lack self-control, let them marry. It is better for them to marry than to burn. But to the married, I give a construction. Not, uh, I, I give instructions. Uh, I, uh, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not send his wife away. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, uh, that if a brother uh, has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. In other words, there's no law here that spells this out, but Paul's saying, here's the principle. Uh, this is at your expense for their benefit. And the woman who has an unbelieving husband, if he consents to live with her, let him not send her uh, away the, the husband. For the unbelieving uh, husband is sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Um, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. And if the brother or sister is not, is not under bondage in such cases, um, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if they leave... What's the goal? Reconciliation and salvation. For the reconciliation and salvation. Um, if someone uh, you know, gets mad and stomps out of the church, what's the goal? Reconciliation, right? Reconciliation. This is always the goal, okay? Um, do people uh, make mistakes, get upset, yeah. uh, sin? Uh, what's the goal? Reconciliation. Uh, God pursues you, God pursues me, and we're to do the same. Does this make sense? Right? And so there's nowhere that you can turn in the scriptures where this is not the standard set forth by the Lord, uh, which is the revelation of his character. Is that, is that making sense? What questions do you have? Good? Verse 14. Yeah. 
For the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her, uh, sanctified through the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through uh, her believing husband. Otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Okay. Uh, there are um, a handful of verses uh, that are a um, difficulty for us who um, think that um, um, individual faith to salvation. Now, before you, your mind blows, uh, let me, <laughs> how many times in the story does uh, someone get saved and says he and his whole household? Yeah, he and his whole household were saved. He and his whole household were saved. He and his whole household were saved. So I think this is the ideal, right? Um, and that uh, sanctified, what's sanctified mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sanctified in the New Testament is holy in the Old Testament, set apart, right? Set apart unto the Lord, set apart unto the Lord. Does this mean that the, the husband is saved through the faith of the wife? I don't think so, but they are set apart. And the children are set apart as to be taught and trained in the Lord, right? What's set apart? Uh, well, set, set apart means that she is to set her, you know, he, she or the husband is to set the marriage apart. It's to be set apart unto the Lord. That everything that happens in this marriage is to be set apart. Now, that doesn't mean that they set it apart. The, the unbelieving one, they, they're going to do whatever, right? But this is going to be at your expense for the benefit of that one, right? And the children are going to see it. Children are going to live by it. Right? Um, tough. That's a tough uh, verse. Um, but the whole household, the, the, the goal is for the whole household to be saved. Right? And this is what drives the believing wife uh, and what drives the believing husband, that the whole household would be saved, that the whole household would be restored, the whole household would be redeemed. It's just like Two people that child's not saved, but they're basically growing up in the house of love and sports being taught. So that would be the point. Yeah, so that one's more so so the, the question of so the, the so the is the child saved? If a believing husband and a believing wife have a child, is the child saved? Um, well, uh, well, that was the that was the that was the statement, but that's but I'm turning it into a question because that question has been answered differently and understood differently, and I think um, yes, that 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 and so let me show you the tell you the implications. Okay, how does that play out? Um, um, the the um, in the Old Testament. We go back to uh, uh, to the Exodus, and everybody after older than the age of twenty, and the way that that is used in the Old Testament is a knowing good and evil. Um, everyone younger than the age of twenty um, was not wiped off the map, didn't die in the wilderness, uh, and so this is what was became known as the age of accountability, where now you're no longer judged by your uh, mother and father, now you've got to stand on your own two feet in your faith. Your faith has to be your faith, and your decisions are your decisions, and you're going to suffer the consequences accordingly. Okay? Um, so, um, 
so there's there's a core issue of what happens to the child who dies before he's able to save, uh, to, to, to believe. What happens to the child who is unable to believe, right? Um, you know, mental health, you know. Um, well, um, so what happens to the infant who dies in the womb? What happens to the infant who dies just a few days out of the womb? Right, that type of thing. Um, so this is the this is a question that the church has struggled with, and because the pendulum, uh, I think, has swung so far towards individual faith, um, that we don't account for things like he and his whole household were saved, or uh, for for instance, David and Bathsheba's son, uh, who dies, and David is assured, uh, seems to be assured that that the ch- he will see the child again. Right, so that seems to indicate uh, that the faith of the parent has some value towards uh, the the child until the age of accountability, at least in Israel. Now, the question will be, why would it be different in Israel? Okay, um, so um, where do I land on that? I'm not sure. This is where we bring in our, so, so this is when uh, we move past the, um, what the Bible says to the theologians, right? So this is where we get the historical theologians. This is where uh, the Jeff Binghams of the world come in and they, they spell it all out. And you go, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think about that, right? So the implications are, I can tell you this. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you have a kid, Share the gospel with them and get them believing as fast as you can. Okay. Um, what about those who can't believe, um, are born to believers? I tend to agree with uh, Dr. Robert Leitner, uh, who was a systematic theology professor, and he wrote a book years ago called Safe in the Arms of Jesus. If this is of interest to you, I think it's a good read. Kind of spells out both sides. And he kind of lands on the side of um, what Paul is saying here. This is one of the places he will go, uh, that uh, the child is saved through the faith of their parents, at least to some age of accountability. Uh, the church has debated how old that is. Right? So that's been a different a debate. If you're Lutheran, how many Lutherans are in here? Lutheran background. Used to be Lutheran. Or, um, um, you, you do this little thing. Or Catholics do it too because it didn't start with the Lutherans, it started with the Catholics. It's called what? Catechism. Yeah. How old is that? Yeah, something like that, somewhere around there. You... Uh, infant baptism is a different deal. Infant baptism is a different uh, different deal. Uh, catechism says uh, you're on your own. Your faith is now your faith. Conf- I'm sorry, confirmation. 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 Uh, now, it's, now your faith is your faith. You're no longer under the protection of your parents' faith. You walk on your own faith. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, um, and there's reasons for why it's twelve and thirteen. Uh, the, uh, um, infant baptism is a different deal. Uh, it was a theological, we don't want to go down this trail because this, this will take the rest of our discussion. Let me just briefly say, 
um, infant baptism um, was the um, response to washing away of original sin. They felt that you went from negative to neutral through infant baptism. Okay, uh, we could talk about that more, but that's a whole that's a whole other deal. Um, there are people who devote their lives to this, to to studying these things, and that's why we have a theology department at the uh, um, at, at uh, seminaries. Most seminaries have a Bible department, a theology department, and then a practical ministries you know department or divisions, um, because. The Bible says so much, and then we go to theology and what has the church always believed about these things. And so we uh, tend to end up as Catholics, Presbyterians, Baptists, Lutherans, not so much because of what the Bible says, but how the church has interpreted it. And that's a long discussion. And often, I think I, uh, at least my experience is, uh, I don't think we give credence to the discussion that is, they're not doing this because they don't know the Bible. They have actually wrestled through some things that I think we tend to go, ah, Catholics, what do they know? Uh, I remember when I was at Southwestern, I picked up a Catholic commentary um, uh, and I was stunned at how um, profoundly this scholar had thought through some things, right? And I think that you find that throughout church history. Now, we may end up disagreeing, uh, but know that much of what we believe are our denominational differences are because of how the church has responded to some of these things. Does that make sense? And now we're not, we're not wrestling with it. Okay, all that to say that in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, God is revealing his character. And his character is revealed so that it is played out in Israel. That Israel will do live out God's character. They were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to represent God, right? Um, God forgives them, therefore to give one another. God loves them, they're to love one another. Um, um, husbands and wives, fathers and sons, masters and servants, all of these relationships were to reflect God's love and care for um, his people. So in the husband and the father and the master position, and there are many others, right, where, where you are uh, in this spot, in this relationship, you are to put on display the mercy character of God. If you're in this relationship, uh, then you are to faithfully uh, serve, reflect. So master Israel, uh, servant, uh, I'm sorry, master the Lord, servant Israel, and the master becomes the servant to the servant to save the servant. Husbands, love your wife. Uh, the husband lays down his life for the wife to save the wife, to deliver the wife, right? Uh, the father for the son, right? This, this sacrifice, uh, this lowering of oneself for the other, the care for, provision for. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. Do not be concerned about your own issues, your own stuff, but also for others, just as Christ, who lowered himself. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard a quality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself, took on the form of sinful man. He took on the form of 
broken, dying flesh, and then suffered death, even the most humiliating death on the cross. See, he wasn't looking out for his own interests. He was looking out for yours. Do the same. Uh, Paul says, Christ did it. I'm doing it. Follow my example. Where should, you, where should that example play out in your life? Everywhere. Everywhere in your life. Um, why? Because it goes back to the two great commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. What does that love your neighbor look like? This relationship is to reflect we do this relationship. Actually, this relationship is to reflect this relationship. Does that make sense? Right? He, he lays down his life. He so you do the same. Right? Uh, easy? No. This is, this is hard stuff. Um, because in, in, as it plays out in real life, you got two sinners. <laughs> and uh, and that's 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 tough, right? Uh, at least in the God in Israel, you only had one of the two was the sinner, and it always cost the one. Okay, but if you've been given mercy, give it, for judgment will be merciless on those who show no mercy. You've been given mercy, you show mercy, right? Is this making sense? Okay, questions, thoughts. Implications. Well, yeah. So let's talk about. So, so um, I hear your, uh, I hear your, your thoughts. Um, this is where. Okay. So, so the the point. Uh, you know, not everybody got a shot, and not everybody wore a mask. Um, an interesting thing happened. Uh, the church. This is not the first time the church has been through something like this. Uh, um, the 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 Black Plague ravaged um, the world. And uh, how the church responded, I think, is informative to us. Okay, uh, let me show you a verse, uh, and then let me show you, and let me tell you, uh, show you what Israel did. I want you to turn over, uh, or what the church did. Turn over to Hebrews. Look at chapter two. Verse 14. Okay, now, what the church did um, was when someone was, had the plague, uh, the church rushed in. Rushed in. They, 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 they uh, to their sure death, they were going to get the plague as well. These people were suffering alone to their death. And these, uh, many of these who were persecutors of the church, who hated the church, 
these believers went to them, shared the gospel with them, and in sharing the gospel with them, their desire to share the gospel with them in their greatest hour of need, um, end up losing their lives. Uh, and this happened throughout the church. Right? Why would they do this? Since then, the children share in the flesh and blood. This is talking about Jesus and the children, the believers. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had power, had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Did you catch that? It's, we have come to the point, at least in my estimation in the church, uh, where we've been teaching uh, best life now for so long that we've lost the gospel. We live in constant fear of death. Uh, newsflash, I, I hope this doesn't shatter anybody's um, understanding of how this is going to go down. Uh, you're going to die. In the early church, professing Christ was almost an assurance of your death. You were impaled, thrown in with the lions, um, stoned, um, killed, uh, unless you renounced your faith. A, a couple years ago, uh, I still remember this, uh, there was that news story that was on, on the air. Uh, there were these believers, Christians in Egypt, who were lined up on the, the beach 30, 31 of these men uh, with masks over their head. Uh, Muslim folks were saying, if you didn't renounce Jesus, they were going to cut your head off. I think it was like 31. I think that number seems to be right. Uh, 31 did not renounce their faith, and 31 lost their head. Did they lose their life, or did they lose their head? They lost their head. They didn't lose their life. Why not? Because he who, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses it for my sake will save it. I think the travesty, uh, personal opinion, I think the travesty in this whole um, COVID thing is we've seen what the church actually believes. And it's not pretty. We've seen what it believes, though. Um, preservation of this life now. Not gather, not worship. Well, we might die. Well, I got news for you. You're going to die. Well, that, that, that's what we hear on the news. How are we defining how are we defining death? 
it's just your body dropping dead and going so the church stopped should not be concerned about who i kill who i'm responsible you're not killing no so i shouldn't be concerned well then we've got a bad definition of death so it's okay to infect everything because they're all going to heaven Anyway, so. uh, yes, they're going to be infected anyway. That's just the reality of how viruses work. I, I hate to tell you, but that's just the reality of it. Right? There is no so so we can talk about the the you know scientific you know whatever of wearing a mask. Um, which is a different issue than the theological, what's driving this theologically. Which is why I brought up the, the plague. The, the, the Christians rushed in, in the time of dire need, to their own certain peril. Let me read it again. Since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power over death, that is the devil, and he might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. The church is in fear of death right now. And what's driven, and this is what we've, so, so what this uh, COVID thing has shown up, uh, the death rate of 99 point, or the survival rate of 99 point something, what it has shown is that the church is terrified of death. rather than preaching life. Now, uh, the plague was a little different uh, percentage than 99 point. They knew this. They knew that everyone who got it died. And going in to visit someone was a death sentence. And the church did it. You're making that choice yourself to go and help someone. So, so the so what we would call um, not going is unchristian. Not going into the those who are dying is unchristian. I disagree. Disagree. It's just asking too much of some people. There's a lot of, so, so this logic train goes down a lot of trails, right? Um, and so, yeah, so, so, um, so, so let's bring this back to, to the, to the point. Uh, if we don't believe Christianly, then we will be led astray by all kinds of things, including COVID or whatever. Okay. Um, uh, in the, uh, history of, uh, pandemics and the death rate of pandemics, 
this barely um, registers on the death rate scale. Okay. Um, your, your chances of dying of other things is higher than this. Okay. But regardless of what the, the thing is that's going to kill you, the question is, do you fear death? Or would, are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of eternal life? Taking the gospel to others for the sake of eternal life. The church has historically been willing to do that. The church today wouldn't even meet in many cases because of a survival rate of 99 point whatever. Now that informs us of what we're believing, which means that we've got a corrective We've got to correct some things about what we're believing. Do we believe that this is life and this is the life to be preserved or is this the life to be laid down? Does that make sense? It comes back to the same issue of at my expense for their benefit. Now, not at my expense for their temporal benefit, for their eternal benefit. Do we live according to what we believe or do we not? Check, do you have something? I'm saying if you're a true believer, the church historically, no longer, not in America, the church historically has been the first to rush in in the assurance of death in the midst of those outbreaks, not being vaccinated, not, not, not polio. So, so our focus here is wrongheaded. Our focus is on preserving this life, and that is a fool's error. It's a fool's error. I don't believe the God that created the universe that had not only purpose on, on earth is to come to Christ. I don't, I don't think he's very much. Well, yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's vaccines, there's not, look, and there's two sides of all of that stuff. Some people argue vaccines, others say that vaccines cause all kinds of problems and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but back to the point. Uh, the point is simply this, okay, uh, that um, our death rate is one per person, right? Your death rate is one per person. Um, and this life uh, is a life to be laid down for the gospel at your sacrifice for the benefit of the other. Now, um, we got to define all of our terms so that we clearly see it, right? Am I, now, what uh, Luther, what, uh, what these people who are like, and Luther writes about this Black Plague, and he writes about what he sees, that these Christians are just flooding in to their enemies, who are uh, infested with the Black Plague under certainty of death um, for the sake of the gospel. We're not believing that today. Um, 
there's something fundamentally different, it seems to me, about what we're believing in the church now, in our American church now, versus what was put on display on that beach in Egypt. I think it's been informative. I think it's revealed where we are. And in, in, some, in some places, they, we've been awakened uh, to think more Christianly. Uh, other places, not so much, right? Um, so, uh, so let's see if we can pull this back together. Um, okay, so marriage, covenant, at your, right? So you're, we're surrounded by sinners. How many times do you forgive? Why? Because God in Christ forgave you, so you forgive them, right? Um, the biggest place, the best place for that to be modeled is in your marriage. Your kids will see it. Others see it, right? And so this is, co- you know, the, the, the covenant relationship of husband and wife is the one relationship that is likened to the Bible, husband and wife, Right? God's love for Israel, covenant, husband and wife, covenant. Um, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And how you love one another is that example is set by the very character of God and his love for his people. Make sense? Okay, so we, we covered a lot of stuff today. Sure. Yeah. The the yeah. There's there's the Pauls uh, the the weaker in the faith. Yeah. Fourteen and First Corinthians. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So. Um, well, let me pray for us, and uh, and we will uh, we'll be done. Lord, thanks for today. For our time, for Lord, how you love us. Um, how you loved Israel. And uh, when they were stiff-necked, rebellious people, you were compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that uh, because that's how you love us and that's how you call us to love. So, uh, Lord, we need your strength through the Spirit to do that. Um, Lord, help us to um, to reflect your love well, live it out in our marriages, uh, build up uh, each other, love one another, protect one another, protect uh, one another's marriages. Uh, Lord, and, uh, and as a church, we pray that uh, we would uh, show your mercy, your love to others uh, daily is our prayer. So thank you for our time in Christ Jesus. Amen.